I think we ought to welcome this guy back, don't you? He's been away for, yeah, go on, let's give him a warm welcome. It's lovely to see you back. I think we're all greatly cheered to see your cheery face this morning. Yeah, well, it's pretty cheery anyway, yeah. So that's great. So let's have the reading, and then George will preach to us. This morning's reading is taken from St. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. This can be found on page 1032 of the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Morning, morning, morning. It's great to be back. I, uh, before Christmas, had a kidney stone. Ooh, yeah, it was pretty painful. <laughs> and uh, then I went on holiday to South Africa, to Cape Town, for nearly three weeks, which was fantastic. So that was a really good time. And it's really good to be back, actually, to be back in the cold. As soon as I got home, it was raining, so that was pretty depressing. But it is nice to be back in England. Great to see you all this morning. Shall we pray before I begin? Father God, thank you for your spirit with us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can read your word, that we can listen to your word, that we can study your word. Lord, thank you that we have the privilege to be able to do that. Lord, and I pray that as I speak, Father, that would you anoint my words, would you come, Holy Spirit, upon us now? Would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. As I was preparing this week, I was thinking about actually how difficult sometimes it is to be a Christian, how we've got sin that we're bombarded with every day, every week, sometimes of our lives. We've got temptations that come our way on a regular basis. We're tempted with all sorts of different things. We've got rejections that we might feel. Maybe we're talking to non-Christian family members or friends about Jesus and we might feel rejected because they don't want to know what it is that we have to say. It's a difficult thing often to be a Christian, particularly in other countries. Actually, I think in this country, we often have it quite good as a Christian. In some countries, it is really hard to be a Christian. 
And with all those things and with all the difficulties that it does present, I think if we look at it on the flip side to see actually what an incredible privilege really it is to be a Christian, what an incredible privilege it is to follow Christ, to have Christ, to have God as the one who leads us forward. And if we think about it, really, if we weren't following Jesus Christ, who would we rather follow? If we weren't following God himself, who would we rather follow? You think about that for a second. Actually, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing opportunity that we get to have this opportunity to open up the Word of God, to listen to what God has to say to us, to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's something to be excited about. It's not something that we should be depressed about. And as we look at this passage today, this is a passage where Jesus calls Peter, Simon Peter, to follow him, to drop everything and to follow him. And Peter does it. See, Peter was a fisherman. He had these boats. He had this family business that he probably inherited from his father, from his grandfather before that. And Jesus calls him to follow him. And Peter leaves everything. He drops the lot to go and to follow Jesus, how amazing thing that really is. And as I've been reading this week and looking at some of the commentators that would talk about this passage and listening to some other sermons that people have given, some people take this, in a, this passage in a really a bit of a depressing way. And they might look at it to say, oh, well, you know, gee, Peter, he had, to, he had to give up his boat. He had to give up his family business. What would his family have thought? You know, they were left in the lurch because Peter just drops it all and goes to follow Jesus. Or... What about that huge catch of fish that Peter's just caught? He could have sold all those fish. He could have made so much money. He could have used that money for ministry to feed the poor. And yet he doesn't. He just leaves the lot and he goes and follows Jesus. Why? Why would he do that? And they would look at this in a bit of a depressing way. You see, I read this passage. As I've read this passage this week, I see that Peter looks at it and he sees, okay, I've got fish in this hand. And I've got God in this hand. It's a bit of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? (laughs) Fish or God? Which one's it going to be? Peter chooses God, which I'm glad that he does. It's a no-brainer. He drops everything to go and to follow Jesus. He gets to follow Jesus. So I want to start by asking a question to all of us this morning. If we're honest with ourselves truly honest with ourselves, is our Christianity today more about have-tos? I have to do this, I have to come to church, I have to pray, I have to read my Bible to be a good Christian, or is it about get-tos? Actually, as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, I get to have a relationship with God. I get to study this word, this book, What an incredible privilege it is to be able to study the Word of God, to have a relationship with God Almighty. If we're honest, is our relationship with God more about have-tos or is it more about get-tos? Just think about that for a second. See, I read this passage. I read this passage about Peter and I see that Peter is overwhelmed that he is full of joy, that he gets the opportunity to follow Christ. That Christ calls him, and he drops the lot. 
But Christ also calls us. He calls us to be disciples. He calls us to be followers of Jesus Christ. And that is the most amazing thing. And I really hope that our attitude today, our attitude this week, is that we have this amazing opportunity to be a follower, to be a disciple of Christ. So would you open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. If you've got a Bible or if you've got one of these booklets, before Christmas I um, gave some of these or we gave some of these booklets out and encouraged you to read them over Christmas to get to know the, the book of Luke and to get to know a bit of the background. I hope you've done it. I did say that I would follow up and that I would check that you've done it over Christmas, so I hope you have. So would you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 from verse 1. This is what it says. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, so the lake of Gennesaret is actually the ancient name for the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is standing by the Sea of Galilee. The people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, so Jesus is standing by the Sea of Galilee. Okay, he's got crowds and crowds of people that are crowding around him because Jesus has been performing miracles. This is the man that performs miracles, and people have heard about him. He's famous in this place because of what he does, because he performs these miracles, and they want to hear about Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to hear how Jesus could heal them. So there's hundreds and hundreds, possibly even thousands of people that are crowding around wanting to listen to this man, to Jesus. So what Jesus does is he gets into the boat and he goes out a little way out into the sea, out into the Sea of Galilee, and he begins to teach the people. And it says that the boat, the boat that he takes, is the one that belongs to Simon. This is Simon Peter. And so Jesus already had a relationship with Peter. Earlier on, we see that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So they have this relationship already. So really, for Jesus to ask to borrow Peter's boat is a small thing. They've got a relationship already. He borrows Peter's boat, and he goes out a little way from shore. And then we see what happens here in verse 4. It says that when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So we're seeing the picture here. Okay, Jesus, he's teaching the people. He's teaching them, and when he's done, he says, Simon, why don't you throw these nets over the side? Let's go a little bit deeper. These guys have been working hard all night. Simon reluctantly does it. He reluctantly throws the nets over, and they start catching all of these fish, so many fish, that they signal to the other boat. There's another boat alongside them. They say, come over here, come over here. We need you to take some of these fish. There's so many of them. Both of the boats begin to sink because of the amount of fish. So can you imagine how many fish there would have been if two boats are sinking because of the number of fish? It's quite remarkable. There's a couple of things that I want to recognize from this passage. The first is that Peter, we see here, is reluctant to throw the nets over. Okay, he doesn't want to throw these nets over. 
Okay, these guys are fishermen. Peter's a fisherman. Those who he's with are fishermen. There's one thing they know in life, and that is fish. They know about this business. They've been in this business probably for most of their lives. They know about fish. And here, Jesus comes along, a carpenter, someone who doesn't know about fish, knows about wood. This carpenter comes and says to them, throw the nets over. And they're like, what? Why? Why would we do this? Why? We've been working hard all night. We've caught nothing. Why would we throw our nets over now? It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus the carpenter says, do it. And because Peter knows Jesus, because he's seen Jesus perform a miracle where his mother-in-law was healed, he does it, but it's reluctant. He doesn't want to do it, and he does it. You see, Jesus work, makes them work hard all night long, and then he turns up and he performs this miracle. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Why wouldn't he just perform the miracle at the start of the evening and save them all this hassle? Why does he leave it? Why does he wait until they've worked hard all night? See, as I was studying this, I came to see that throughout the Bible, we often see that God lets a situation get to a certain point where it seems like it is impossible in human eyes for it to happen. And then God will show up and will perform the impossible. He will perform a miracle. That it gets to a point so that God can show that he is the one that is in, tr- in control, that he is the one that has the power, and that he is the one that gets the glory. He leaves it. And there's a few examples of this in the Old Testament. The first is the nation of Israel. Okay, so the nation of Israel, they've come out of Egypt. And Pharaoh, the plagues of Egypt, we all know the story. Pharaoh's let the Israelites go. And they're on their way into the promised land. And then Pharaoh realizes, hang on a sec, I've made a mistake. I don't want these guys to go. So he decides, well, I'm going to chase them. We're going to chase them. We're going to hunt them down. We're going to bring them back to Egypt. And as the Israelites get to the Red Sea, they're like, oh, goodness. What do we do now? We've got the sea in front of us. How on earth are we going to get through with all these people? There's no way. There's no way in human terms that we could ever do this. And yet Moses, the Israelites, cry out to God because they're in desperate need for God to show up, for God to do something. And as we know, God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through on dry land and the Egyptians are swept up into the waves. And God does it. God performs a miracle and they're praising God and God gets the glory. God gets the power because God has done it and it's a miracle. And the Israelites see this. The same things happened in the story of Gideon. We know the story of Gideon in Judges 7 and 8 in the Old Testament. Gideon has 32,000 men in his army. Okay, and he has to fight, go into battle against 100,000 men. 32,000 against 100,000. And you look at that and you think, well, that's pretty impossible in itself. 32,000 against 100,000. There's no way. The odds are just completely against Gideon. But God says, no, 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 no. Too many people. So Gideon whittles it down by 10,000. So he's got 22,000 men against 100,000 men. But God says, no, 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 no. Too many. Too many people. Gideon whittles it down, whittles it down, until he's left with just 300 men. 300 men against 100,000. You see, in our eyes, we look at that and we think, well, there's... 
absolutely no way. That is an impossible situation. But what happens? They win. They win because God is with them. God shows up. God performs a miracle because Gideon trusts in God. Because God, he does it in God's strength and not in his own strength. If he was to have done it in his own strength, they would have been wiped out. 300 men against 100,000. It's completely ridiculous. And yet God does it. And God gets the power. God gets the glory in an impossible situation. In the New Testament, we have Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus was a really good friend of Jesus. And Jesus is told, he's given the report, your friend Lazarus is dying. And Jesus, you'd think at that point, would go and see Lazarus and, and heal him. And yet he doesn't. He says, thank you, but I'm going to continue on with my ministry. So Jesus goes about his ministry until a point where then Jesus is given another report to say that Lazarus is dead. Jesus, his friend Lazarus, has died. Again, at that point, you think, well, Jesus is going to go and see Lazarus and, and mourn with the family. But he doesn't. He waits. And he leaves it four days. Four days, Lazarus has been dead. He's been in his tomb for four days. They say that the smell would have been so bad. Jesus goes after four days to see his friend Lazarus. And it's the shortest verse in the whole Bible that says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept over his friend. He loved his friend. And what does he do? He commands Lazarus to come from the tomb, to come out of the grave. And Lazarus is brought back to life again. Four days after he died. And the people there must have just been completely astonished. Can you imagine seeing something like that take place? This man comes back from the dead after four days of being in a tomb. God gets the power. God gets the glory. You see, I wonder for Peter, when he was reluctant to throw the nets over, what was God teaching Peter in that instant? Why did he leave it all night that Peter and his friends had to work all night before he showed up? Maybe to teach them something. Maybe to teach them, actually, you need to trust in me and not in your own strength. So what can we learn from this story? I would like to say that as I've been praying about this, what is going on in our lives at the moment that we are trying to do in our own strength that we hold on to so tightly because we think, well, if I just try a little bit harder, then I could do that. Maybe there's a situation in your life which you think, well, it's an impossible situation. There's no way that could ever happen. Turn to God. Give it over to God. Pray that God would take the situation, that God would do the impossible, that God would do it in his strength and not in our own, that he would get the power and that he would get the glory. And for me, if I'm honest with you guys, over the Christmas period, I was really worried about my health. And I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac in some ways. <laughs> and if I get ill, I then start Googling stuff, what could be wrong? And having this kidney stone, I then caught an infection afterwards and started to get really worried about it. And God spoke to me whilst I was in South Africa and said, are you trusting me? Are you trusting me in this? Or are you just looking at it in human terms? How are we going to look at it? Maybe you're facing a seemingly impossible situation. And God hasn't answered it because he wants you to turn to him. He wants you to trust in him, to give it over to him because it's all about him. 
It's all about him. That he would get the glory. That he would get the power. Because he can do anything. That's the first thing that I want to draw out of this passage. The second thing is from verse 8. Turn with me to verse 8. It says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, what would you have expected to happen? These fishermen catch this huge number of fish, so many fish that two boats begin to sink. What would you think would happen in human terms? They'd be excited. They'd be full of joy. they think, well, we're rich. Going to make a load of money. But it doesn't say that. It says that Peter fell at Jesus' knees. He fell on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And the first thing he says is, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. Why does he do that? Why isn't he full of joy? Why does he fall on his knees? Why is he full of sorrow? Isn't that an odd response? See, I looked at this, and I looked at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. We see that Isaiah... He's in the presence of God. He sees the glory of the Lord. And what does he do? He falls to his knees and he says, Woe is me, for I am dead, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King. My eyes have seen God, and so God is with me. And he sees everything there is about me. He sees my sin. He sees everything. And it's the same for Peter. He falls on his knees because he's in the presence of God. And I've got to ask you guys, have you ever in your life come to a point where you acknowledged who God was compared to who you were and you were so blown away by it that it brought you to your knees? Have you ever been amazed at the holiness of God in comparison to how sinful, to how wretched we are as human beings? Have you ever been amazed at that holiness? I've got to be honest with you, when I first experienced grace, for the first time. I'd been a Christian for a couple of years and I didn't quite get it. I didn't quite get what grace was really all about until one day it just hit me and it hit me how sinful, how wretched I really was and how big, how deep God's love for me was in the midst of that. The holiness of God in comparison to our sin. And that is the grace of God. That is the grace that God still chooses us He still chooses to love us despite what we've done, despite our sin, despite everything that he knows about us. He calls us and he loves us and he invites us to be followers of Christ. And that's why Peter falls to his knees because he gets this. He gets that he's in the presence of God and yet God still loves him. God still chooses him. God still invites him even though he knows exactly what Peter has done in his life. See, that is the grace of God. That's why when I ask the question, is your Christianity more about have-tos than get-tos, if we really experience, if we really understand the grace of God, that God would still love us despite our sin, despite what any of us have done, then surely we want to be shouting about that from the rooftops. I get to be a follower of Christ. I get to have a relationship with God. I get to be in the presence of God Almighty 
the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, the one that made everything. I get to have a personal relationship with him. What an amazing privilege that really is. I think often what we do, because I do this, is we enter into a relationship with God that's a little bit, a little bit too casual. When we come in to, to pray, do we really understand who it is we're praying to? That we're praying to God Almighty. That we're not just praying or talking to our mate down the road. We're praying to an almighty, almighty God. An awesome God who created everything, the heavens and the earth. And how he's chosen us, how he's loved us, despite what we've done in our lives. It is the most incredible, incredible thing. And Peter gets this. Isaiah got this. You see, I think we've lost that in our culture in so many ways. Actually, how holy God really is. And how sinful we really are. The grace of God. Peter understands exactly what's going on. Peter looks at it and he thinks, fish or God? Of course, it's God every time. And I want to ask you this morning, what is it that holds you back from being a true follower of Christ? Maybe you're looking at some of the fish in your life, like Peter would have done. And you're thinking, oh, you know, it's really difficult to give that thing up. I don't know if I could do that. Whatever it may be, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your family, maybe it's whatever it could be in your life. Compared to God, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's not necessarily that God is saying to you, I want you to give everything up. But it's the heart behind it. If God was to call you to give it up, would you say, yes, I will? He's God number one in your life. That you would honestly be able to say, I'll give this up because God has called me to do that. See, that's the challenge. It's a huge, huge challenge. Is he number one in your life? So as I finish, I want to see, actually, how can we put this into practice this week? As we go into our week, starting tomorrow, starting later today, first day of the week being Sunday, how are we going to put this into practice? How are we going to allow God to lead us? Because he has called us to be true followers of Christ. I think what it is, is really us understanding more of who God is, us getting to know God better, us going deeper with God by spending time in prayer, by spending time in the Word this week, and to ask ourselves those questions, really, what is it that holds me back from being a true follower of Christ? If I'm honest, I worry a lot, I worry about a lot of things. As it say in Matthew, that do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough worries of its own. We all worry about certain things, whether it's our health, our finances, our family members. 
What is God saying to us today? What is God calling us to let go of so that we can be true followers of Christ? Like Peter, I'll choose you every time. I'm going to invite Nora to come back up and to lead us in a time of response. And I'd love if you would like to receive prayer about this. I know that I certainly need prayer about this. For me, it has been about my health and worrying about that. And I know for some of us in this room as well, it's worrying about health matters and family members. So if you would like to receive prayer, there's going to be a few of us that would love to pray for you. Please do come and receive prayer. I'm going to pray to close for us now. Father God, thank you that you are God and we're not. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, that you chose us, that you called us to be your disciples. And Lord, what an incredible privilege, what incredible honor that really is that we can be disciples of Christ. That we get to do this stuff, that we get to read your word, that we get to pray, that we get to have a relationship with you. That it's not a downer, that it's not a have to, but it's a get to. Father, I pray for all of us in this room this week, as we go about our week, Lord, that you would show us in our lives, for us personally, what is it that holds us back? What is it that that we need to let go of to be true followers of Christ? Whatever that may be, maybe that's worries, things that niggle at us every day. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us because we are sinful people and we need your help every single day. Thank you for this church, for these friends here today. In Jesus' name, amen.